as I've been here with uh, having a number of chaplains that uh, rotate through here, not only in the Air Force, uh, but in the Army. And I can't even remember a period now, at least in my last 11 years, where we haven't had at least one. I think one time we had up to three or four, six. <laughs> but it's always a blessing to have uh, chaplains that are serving uh, our military here. And, and so today we thought we'd have a, a great opportunity while uh, John or, or Pastor Joe is, is gone to uh, give you an opportunity to meet one of our newest chaplains and their family to come up and preach the word. So Brent Sadler is going to come up today, but let me introduce Brent a little bit about him. He, he graduated from Reformed Theological uh, Seminary down Jackson, Mississippi in 2006. I think that's where he met his wife, Noel, when he was down there. And he's been a teaching elder in the PCA uh, since 2007. Okay, Then he's pastored two churches. Before he uh, joined the army, he was a pastor of Trinity Reform Church in Lawnstuhl, Germany. Have you ever been over there right outside of uh, Ramstein Air Base, a beautiful uh, part of the world? Uh, he, he was there for a few years, and then he pastored Grace Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Tennessee uh, from 2012 to 2018. And then I guess he felt the call to come join uh, in the military and uh, to serve as a chaplain. And he's had two army assignments uh, since coming here at Fort Bliss and Fort Jackson. And now he's up supporting the 7th Special Forces Group. So we are so glad to uh, have him and Noel and their six children, who they will be coming apart, members of the church here soon. They've already gone through the Explorers class. And we're looking forward for them to being a part of our FPC family. So Come on up, Brent. We, we look forward to hearing from you uh, this morning, God's Word. Thank you, brother. Well, good morning. Thank you for that introduction. That eliminates a few paragraphs of things that I felt like I needed to say. Um, so just to, to always identify yourself when you come to a new group. I, we've been here, our family, since uh, the new year. We've been with you as long as 2022 has been going on. Uh, we did get here at the end of December, so um, thank you for the opportunity to, uh, to preach the word. Thanks to the session, uh, thanks to Joe, thank you Rick. Um, and uh, before we read, I want to just give us a slight introduction here, okay? We are going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 12 though, which you can find on page 233 of the Pew Bible if you're using it. Um, the writer who was penned named George Eliot um, said, only in the agony of parting do we look into the depths of love. Only in the agony of parting do we look into the depths of love. Um, I think that's true. I think of the farewells I've had in my life. And in the military, if you've been military, you've had a military career, you have a lot of farewells, right? You even go to things called hails and farewells, right, sometimes. But, uh, and if you're in a military community, you say farewell a lot, right? You're like, man, you're going on. Um, you think about that, um, only in the agony of parting do we look into the depths of love. I think about the two churches that I have um, pastored, and um, one time a farewell was quiet and accepting, and one time it was very emotional. Um, farewelling in the military, sometimes they're bitter, sometimes they're sweet, sometimes they're bittersweet, right? Um, farewells before training, it's always um, whenever I go TDY or um, hop in the car to go, go to training or hop on an airplane, it's always... You know, saying goodbye to the family, that's when, uh, you know, you get a little misty, right? It's in the, it's in the agony of 
um, the agony of parting do we look into the depths of love. So this is a farewell in 1 Samuel chapter 12. This is uh, the farewell of Samuel, judge and prophet in Israel. Uh, the reason I'm preaching this is it's the thing roast recently on my heart that I've done the most work in and I preach recently to soldiers. I've modified it for us a little bit, but um, Samuel has just anointed Israel, Israel's first human king, the king Saul. And without going into every bit of the history uh, of, of his story, just suffice it to say this. Israel loved Samuel, and Samuel loved Israel. Um, in fact, if Israel were hobbits, Samuel was Gandalf. Does that resonate with some of you? Um, Samuel loves them, but more than that, God loves them. And so uh, let's open our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 12. And I'm going to ask God's blessing on us, and then we'll read. Father, as we now open up your word, open up our hearts, that we might um, see Jesus, that your word would be our rule, uh, that your spirit would be our guide, and that your glory would be our goal. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, 1 Samuel chapter 12. We're going to read the whole chapter. And Samuel said to all Israel, Behold, I have obeyed your voice in all that you have said to me, and I have made a king over you. And now behold, a king walks before you, and I am old and gray. And behold, my sons are with you. I have walked with you from, I've walked before you from my youth until this day. Here I am. Testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? Testify against me, and I will restore it to you. And they said, you have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. And he said to them, the Lord is witness against you and his anointed is witness this day that you have not found anything in my hand. And they said, he is witness. And Samuel said to the people, the Lord is witness who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now, therefore, stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you. And for your fathers, when Jacob went into Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed them, then your fathers cried out to the Lord, and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God, and he sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against them, and they cried out to the Lord and said, we have sinned. Because we have forsaken the Lord and have served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies that we may serve you. And the Lord sent Jerubbaal and Barak and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side. That you, and you lived in safety. And when you saw Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was king. And now behold, the king whom you have chosen, for whom you have asked, behold, the Lord has set a king over you. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. Now, therefore, stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain, 
then you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God, that we may not die, for we have added to all our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. And Samuel said to the people, do not be afraid. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. And I will instruct you in the good and right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Samuel loves them, but God loves them even more. And so we focus on God as we read Samuel's address. He declares to them, I'm going to hit go at this three things, right? Um, you're accustomed to that, I've, I've noticed. Uh, yeah. Um, I went to the same seminary as Joe, so maybe, yeah. Uh, but uh, the God who exposes his people to the truth about themselves. It's the first thing we learn about God. God exposes his people to the truth about themselves. He doesn't hide it from them. In verses 1 to 18. Second of all, the God who calls his people to repent. That's what's going on at the end of the chapter. And then the God whose grace is sufficient to deal with his people's sin and still hold them fast. So, so first of all, um, it's a big chapter. It took a bit to read. Um, we're going to just hop, skip, and jump a little bit through verses 1 to 18. But what's going on there is, is God is um, he's exposing his people to the truth about themselves through Samuel. First of all, this is a, a prophet um, saying when he says, stand still, and I'm going to bring a case against you, and you can bring a case against me, he's doing prophet stuff. Um, and he asked them, have I defrauded you? Have I stolen from you? Have I taken bribes or been an unfaithful judge? If, if you've read First Samuel, it's a beautiful book up until this point. You know, his mother was Hannah. His father was Elkanah. Uh, she was one of the barren wombs, right, in the Bible. And she was old and had no children. And she prayed to God, and he opened her womb and gave children. She immediately devoted this son, right, to the Lord, and he served in the temple with Eli the priest. Um, and so he's, he's served faithfully with Israel for these many years. And so he's asking them, have, have I, insofar as I've been a, a prophet or a judge, have I defrauded you, been unfaithful to you? And they say no. And then he, he shows them the truth about their father's generation and the truth about themselves. In verses 6 to 11, I, I won't read them, but he says, remember, God delivered you, your fathers, to this place. And it's interesting, if you look at chapter 11, they're at Gilgal, this place that showed up a number of times in the Old Testament. It's the very place where God's people, when they crossed the River Jordan, they were with Joshua. It's where that generation were circumcised. And the whole thing, the Lord said, I roll away the reproach of Egypt from you here at Gilgal. And there's a Hebrew play on the word. It means to roll away. It's a very important place in the Old Testament. And he's saying, remember, God brought your parents and your grandparents' generation to not just the land in general, but like 
this dust that you're standing on right now. He says, remember that they, they had fears. They feared other things. They forgot God, and they turned to the gods of the land. They turned to the Baals and to the Ashtaroth. But then they cried to the Lord, and he sent a deliverer, and he sent judges. And then in verses 12 to 18, he says, and, and now, now here's the truth about you. He says, you have been fearful and forgetful. And you have, that has led to you deciding that you need a new government. You need a human king to lead you, you have said, to represent you like the other nations, they said, when Nahash the Ammonite was raised up. You can see that in verses 12 to 18. Um, this is, you see how the other nations are cohesive and secure, and now Israel wants to be like the other nations. But that should almost stick in our throats a little bit, right? Israel wants to be like the other nations. Wait a minute, Israel's not like the other nations. What other nation was for 430 years in slavery in Egypt and then delivered by the blood of a Passover lamb through a Red Sea by which they were saved, their enemies were judged? What other nation is called a a church? Our confession calls it a church under age, but it's rightly called a church. What other nation has had judges raised up since Othniel? Right in Ehud and Shamgar, raise up and deliver them from their enemies. What other nation is like Israel? They were unlike uh, they were unlike the other nations, and yet they wanted to be like the other nations. What they were doing, Samuel says in verse twelve, is they were actually running from their king. They were running from the Lord, their king. He says, um, verse twelve, and when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us. When the Lord your God was your king. So they were running from the Lord to something to deliver them from their enemies. Do we know this tendency? To run from the Lord to something, to someone to deliver us from our enemies. We have strategies, I think. I do. To get the thing maybe that we want and not wait on God for it. Or to... Not trust him, but trust something else for deliverance when we feel like we need it. Behold, Samuel says, the God who will show you that, who will shine light on your false deliverers and say, how is that going for you? How is that going for you? They are not deliverers. Sometimes they're not even bad things in and of themselves, you know. Actually, them asking for a king at this time and the way they did it is problematic. Clearly, it's a sin because they want a king, they're looking for a human for something that only God could give them. But ultimately, it's not that a king is necessarily the problem, but it's how they're doing it. So God shines his light on these things that are not deliverers. And brothers and sisters, I, I tell you, God will shine his light on things in our lives that are not deliverers, on whether it's a human or whether it's a thing, whether it's a he, a she, or an it. And he will say, is this delivering you? He does it here through Samuel, and he even uses this storm. Uh, I haven't been here in Florida long enough to talk about what would be a weird um, weather happening in a certain time of year. It seems like you can have all of them, um, right, all the time here. So it can snow and tornado, and to be, well, that's just the way it is here, right? But here, uh, a tor- um, hmm, tornado, uh, a thunder and rain in the middle of wheat harvest was unheard of. That didn't happen. It was a, it was a, a time that you never had thunder and rain. So when the Lord sends this sign of thunder and rain in a wheat harvest, 
it was a clear sign that the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, had sent this sign to confirm that this is indeed his word, that he is doing it, he is shining his light on their sin. Ah, it hurts. It hurts. The place of holiness uh, hurts when God shines the light on our sin, but it's also the place of healing. And that's where we're going with this. That's what we see next is the God who calls his people to repent in verses 19 to 25. They see their need. They confess it. They say, please pray for us. They understand the consequences. They say, so that we might not die, verse 19, right? So that we might not die. Pray for your servants to the Lord your God. Samuel tells them he is a prophet. He's declaring the will of God for them for their salvation. He calls them to repent. And this is a teaching of the whole scripture, friends, Old Testament and New. It doesn't matter whether you're here in 1 Samuel chapter 12 or you're in the book of Revelation, right? God calls us to repent. Repentance is necessary for salvation. Repentance does not merit salvation, but it is God's way to lay hold of salvation. Repentance is, is one side of, a, of the same coin as, as faith. Faith and repentance go together. You turn from sin to God. Faith and repentance are the way to lay hold of salvation. So that's what he calls them to here, to turn from their sin to God. Because by God's grace here, this is a miracle of grace in this text, that their sin is becoming hateful and God is becoming lovely to them. Flesh and blood do not show that to, to people, right? That's a miracle of grace when we start to say, I, I'm, I'm going to call the things that have charmed me most vain things, right? As Isaac Watts would say. All the vain things that charm me most I sacrifice them to his blood. They are turning. And Samuel tells them, your sin is connected with trust in empty things. He says, verse 20, do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. So he doesn't sugarcoat it and say, no, you really, you didn't mean it. He says, no, you've done it. You've done this evil. But now don't turn aside from following the Lord to serve the Lord with all your heart. And don't turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. Samuel is saying you have sinned because you are sinners. But don't make that make you turn from the Lord. Turn to him. There is room by his grace for you, Samuel is saying to Israel, to turn to him. He knows. It's his light that he's shining on it. Turn to him, not from him. Turn from your sin and follow the Lord. He goes on in those verses, 19 to 25, to, to call them to repentance. And it's interesting there that there's really no, there's, no, there's nothing there about um, rolling their sin over and over in their lives. Uh, we can do that sometimes where um, we dwell on it so much that we never actually repent and just move on. And it can also happen that we view it too lightly, right? Um, I struggle with that sometimes in my life. Am I viewing it too lightly and just moving on or am I probing too much? Right? And it seems like uh, the test for that here at the end is he says, well, I'll still pray for you and I'll still instruct you. So if the repentance is repentance of sin and moving on and receiving instruction and receiving prayer, that's repentance unto life, repenting and move on. That's what he tells them to. I think there's a good lesson for many of us in that. I know myself there is. Repent, move on. Right? Um, don't roll it over and over forever. Don't go back to it, but move on. And Samuel says he will still pray for them. He's, uh, he's an intercessor. He's not a priest, quite. He has made some sacrifices. He's not called a priest. 
This is important. He's an intercessor. He says he will instruct them. He is a prophet. He's not a king, but he's been a judge, and he's led them in battle, and he's a kingmaker. Man, and on this man, we're starting to see, oh, for someone who is prophet, who is priest, who is king, right? Who is all of these things. More on that in a moment. He tells them what their motivation for repentance is to be. It's not how bad their sin is. He, he goes there, right? He says, it's empty. It won't deliver you. It won't profit. Here's, here's the reasons why it's a really bad idea. He goes there, but he never says that's their motivation for their repentance because it's so, so, so bad, 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 even though it is. Their motivation is God's goodness. Look in the text with me, if you will. Uh, their motivation is how, God, how good God is. Look at verse 22. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great namesake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people. And then jump down to verse 24. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. So this is our last point, the God whose grace is sufficient to handle his people's sins and hold them fast. So he exposes their sin, he calls them to repent of their sin, and then he assures them, I can handle your sin, and I can hold you fast, and I have chosen you, right? I've set my love on you, and my grace is sufficient for all these things. Friend, today, if you are not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, um, I have some, some hard but, but great news for you. He knows you're a sinner. He knows. He already knows. You know, we, we try to hide with the fig leaves of our own righteousness and it doesn't work for God. He knows that we're sinners. And he still, if you are not a believer here today in the Lord Jesus Christ, he still calls you to repent. He calls you to turn from your sins unto him. If you're a believer here, is it any different? It's not. If you're a believer here today, brother or sister, the Lord also, the Lord Jesus knows that you are a sinner and that I am a sinner. And he still calls us to repent. And he assures us all that his grace is sufficient to handle our sins and hold us fast. Turn to me, all the ends of the earth, and be saved, another prophet said. And I will never let you go, and I will hold you fast. The Lord will not forsake his people, verse 22, for his great namesake. Because, this is a mysterious doctrine, right? Because he is pleased to take them to himself. Why? Why does he love them? Why does he love them? Because he loves them, right? Why has he set his mercy and grace on them? Because he's merciful and gracious and he sets his grace on them. We're going to sing about this in a second. Why does he deal with our sin and hold us fast? I cannot give an answer. I don't know why. But I know that he does in and through Jesus Christ. The great intercessor, right? Greater than Samuel. He says, let it not be that I, would see, that I would sin against God and cease to pray for you. What does Hebrews tell us about Jesus, what he does right now? He always lives to make intercession for his people. So I cannot give an answer to why God would set his mercy and grace on sinners like these, sinners like these. But he does in and through Jesus Christ, the great priest, the great prophet who declares to us even now by his word and spirit, God's will for our salvation he declares to us his sacrificial death and his perfect life where he earned heaven for us in his perfect life. 
and he bore hell for us on the cross. He declares that to us every time the gospel is preached, doesn't he? Week after week, we hear the gospel, and he is our king. He's always conquering. He is in our enemies. And boy, is it not proof that he goes for the enemy within in a text like this. You know, it's in your heart. The empty things, the vain things that have charmed you most, repent of those things. So brothers and sisters, friends, I would encourage you to gaze with me, not just at Samuel, but at the Lord and upon the Lord Jesus being prefigured here. And, and I ask you to l- at least listen with me, or not, if not turn, uh, to John 7, 53. You can just listen to this. This is a very well-known New Testament passage. It's the passage of a woman caught in adultery. So in, in 1 Samuel chapter 12, we have the whole nation of Israel, some 300,000 people, right, being called to repentance corporately. Here's one person, the same God, our Lord Jesus Christ, calling a sinner to repentance, exposing calling to repentance and assuring this sinner that his grace can hold her fast and handle her sin. John 7, 53, they each went to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple and all the people came to him and sat down and taught them. The scribes and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, placing her in the midst. They said to him, teacher, this, is, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? They said this to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground, but when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. This is an individual. Uh, He didn't call her to repent so that he could love her. He loved her, and he called her to repent. And he said he didn't condemn her. Why did he deal with her sin and hold her fast? Again, I cannot give an answer. She could not give an answer, but she knew the voice of the one who made her. She knew the voice of the one who would die for her, who lived a perfect life in her place. His wounds would pay her ransom. It was amazing grace, and therefore she must repent. Brothers and sisters, so must we. I ask you today, not do you hear Samuel or do you hear me and my voice, but do you hear Jesus calling you today, whether you're not a believer or whether you are a believer, to a life of constant repentance? That was the the first of, uh, of the 95 theses of Martin Luther. Repent means all the time, right? It's the footsteps of the Christian faith. Uh, faith and repentance, faith and repentance. Take that step now, I encourage you, and may God lead you in it. He calls to us from the depths of his love. This is a loving farewell, isn't it? Tell us the truth about ourselves, to repent, and that his grace can hold us fast. God calls us to this from the depths of his love. Samuel did, yes, but behold the love of God. 
turn back to me. I can hold you fast. Let's pray. Father, we confess to you now our sins. We pray that you would help us to love our sin less. No, we pray that you would help us to hate our sin and to hate it more and more and to love you who have shown us how much you love us in the gospel and the way to respond to the gospel in faith and in repentance. We ask these mercies in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand with me and we'll sing how deep the Father's love for us.
lift up your heads and receive God's benediction. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power both now and forevermore. Amen.